God, I pray that our minds are opened, our hearts are softened. And in this place, it's just a worship experience. As we stand and say our lives are to bring you glory, God. Thank you for bringing us here. And thank you for the very life that you've given us. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Hmm. Well, welcome to Church Project. I'm so glad that, that everyone is here. If you're a first-time guest, uh, we're going to be going through the book of the Bible, um, Ephesians. We're starting it uh, this, this morning. And so if you don't have a Bible, we have them over on the lamps on either side. I'm going to slap Jeremy in the face. You can, you can grab one of those, and if you don't own it, that's our gift to you. I just want to point out a couple things before we get started in the book of Ephesians. One, um, Ryan, thank you. I think he's sneaking out for, he drives up from Denver to, to play guitar for us. And I don't know if, if you've been watching or listening, but he's very phenomenal at playing that instrument. And I love watching him just praise God with that. Thank you for coming up and Brittany for joining us. And, and then also we had a very special guest today just show up. And uh, that, that was sweet. John came up. I don't know, hopefully he's moving up, but I doubt it, I don't know, but he jumped on drums without playing today, that's why we started a little late, he had never practiced, jumped in with Jeremy, he used to play with Project Salt and Church Project from the very beginning, so we had a traveling band today that came and joined us, and I think they're phenomenal, so Jeremy, thank you for leading us in that, and guys, can you just give John, Ryan, and Jeremy a round of applause for their talents today? Okay, you ready for this? I don't know that I'm ready. We're jumping in the book of Ephesians. And as I was preparing this week, I thought, oh no, what have we done? If you have been reading ahead, hopefully this is a thick, thick book. We just wrapped up going through the book of Luke. We had our 84th message two weekends ago on the book of Luke. And so we've now encountered, we've now come upon Ephesians. It's not going to be 84 weeks, but what we encounter in Ephesians is so thick and it's so full of life that I guarantee this morning, if you want to, you will see the face of Jesus. You will know clearly who he is, and you'll know how much he loves you in this place. And so let's just go to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. We're going to cover three verses today. Yeah, yeah, we're starting like that. Ephesians 1, let's read 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is tremendous words. The book of Ephesians is so thick, full of doctrine about who God is. And we start out, what I want to do is I want to set us in the setting of what was happening when Paul wrote this letter. It's so important that we know the context of the Bible. That's why we go expository. We go verse by verse. We go through an entire book so that we know what's happening. And we can't just pop in and grab a verse out and make it say whatever we want it to say. So context is key. And as we start the book of Ephesians, let's talk about this. So Paul, have you, have you studied this Paul guy? Have you read much about this Paul guy? 
pretty tremendous man. He was a devoted rabbi. He used to be named Saul. And Saul was a mass murderer of Christians until he encountered the love of Jesus Christ and his name was turned to Paul. He was Jewish born. He lived in Tarsus and he was also a Roman citizen. So if you, if you know much of the context of the Bible and the people and the places of the Bible, here we, are, here we have this, this Jewish, um, Jewish man who was born in Tarsus, a Roman citizen. Um, he was a Pharisee. He was brilliant. He was smart. I mean, this is, this is a high-level man. He was prominent, highly educated Jewish religious leader. He was a Pharisee. And not only that, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew scripture. He knew it well. He was very smart. He followed all the laws and all the rules like this is Paul. Saul turned Paul. He had a dramatic conversion to Christianity about 35 AD when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. It was, it was, it was, that was Saul and now there's Paul. When he encountered Jesus, the rest of his life was completely changed. Church, how about you? When we've encountered the love of Jesus Christ and we've encountered this hope message of love and we've encountered this message that says, you don't die for those sins, I've died for those. When you encounter that, has your life changed? As we look at and we read through Ephesians, we see how drastic Paul's life was changed. Paul typically would write to Gentiles. And he would write, in this one, in the book of Ephesians, he's on his third missionary journey as he goes to Ephesians and he's, he's tirelessly rallying for the message of the gospel of Christ wherever he goes. He goes into a city and he, and he puts a flag in and says, I stand for the gospel message everywhere that he goes. Paul was imprisoned in Rome about 67 A.D., during Nero's reign, and he died in prison about 68 A.D. So as he writes Ephesians, this is his third journey. He stayed in Ephesus for two years and three months, according to the scripture that you can continue to read. And what I like about Ephesians, and why I like about this, is as I was approaching, and as we were approaching the end of Luke, I kept praying, okay, God, what do you have for us as a church, as your body? Well, it was obvious when we first started a church, we're going we're gonna to go in the book of Luke, because Luke is, it was articulate in telling who Jesus was, and we want to model our church after Jesus and who he is. Well, now we've finished the book of Luke and Ephesians. This is why I was drawn to Ephesians so much. It's so full of doctrine, doctrine about who Jesus is, who God is, and what he does. And when Paul was writing, he was writing a letter to Ephesus, because there was not really a problem in Ephesus. If you read 1 Corinthians, when Paul was writing a letter to 1 Corinthians, that was the complete opposite. Paul was mad at 1 Corinthians, and he's just whipping on him, whipping on him. But we come to Ephesus, and we come to Ephesians, and Paul says, generally, generally, church, everything's going pretty good. But I want to warn you of some things. I look at us. I look at church projects. Generally, things are going pretty good here. Generally, God has, is moving us and growing us, and, and there's not like this blaring just sin or, or distraction from church project. So I look at this book, and I go, this is us. 
This is our church as we look around. Generally, things are going good. Oh, but God's got a message for us, each of us, every one of us individually. What I think is also really cool, and maybe this is the optimist, optimist in me. Any of you optimistic? How many of you are pessimists? Okay, Jason, you're pessimistic. Christina, no, you are not. Put your hand down. Are you really? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Jeff, what are you? You're up. Okay, very good. Yeah, some people say I have like Pollyanna syndrome. I'm always happy. I don't know. Probably not. Let's move on past that. Can we move past that? One of the things I like is Paul's writing this. He's in prison when he's writing this message. And as we encounter the words that we read in this, it is full of life and hope and joy. He's writing from prison. How many of you would be writing such life and hope and joy and encouraging, uplifting messages while in prison? Huh? There I am with the optimistic thing. So there's Paul. Let's move on to Ephesus. And, and let's, let's learn a little bit about Ephesus and the city of Ephesus itself. This was delivered in 60 AD. And I, as I said, this is also known as one of the prison epistles. And, and Paul wrote it as he was in prison in Rome. He's actually in house arrest in Rome. And he writes this letter. And what is neat is he wrote many letters in the prison epistles. One of them that he wrote is Colossians. Colossians, if you look at Colossians, it, uh, out of the 155 verses that we'll encounter in Ephesians, 75 mere in Colossians, exactly what Paul wrote in Ephesians. So it's, it's good if you wanted to grab Colossians as we go through Ephesians and just kind of read them side by side. Ephesus, this city, it's about 300,000 people lived in this city. So we're not talking this little village remote town out in the middle of nowhere. Paul's writing to a huge city of 300,000 people. In fact, this is the capital city of the, in the Roman province of Asia, which is also modern-day Turkey. This Ephesus, this city, it's the center of the trading route between Europe and Asia. And this city is a magnificent, wealthy city. It has one of the seven wonders of the world in it during the time. And, and one of the seven wonders was this temple, this magnificent temple that was in the city. This temple was for the goddess Diana in Latin, Diana, or Artemis in Greek. And this is the goddess of fertility. So this city of 300,000 people, very wealthy, very beautiful, very sophisticated, um, pagan, pagan city, has this huge temple where people are going and worshiping the goddess Diana, the goddess of, of fertility. And so this is the setting in which Paul is writing, and this is the city to which he's writing to. So can you kind of place it in your mind, who Paul is and who the, what the city is that he's writing to? Got it? Let me give you a little backstory to this as he's writing it. As Paul encounters this city, he begins to preach like he typically would do. He would go to the synagogue and preach about the loving message of Jesus Christ. And it got, it got so many people that were wanting to hear the message that he needed to move from the synagogue over to the lecture hall, the, lecture hall, the Tyrannus lecture hall, which could hold more people next door. He was there for two years and three months, and every day he would teach in this lecture hall. Well, like I said previous, this was a big city that worshipped the goddess Diana. There were merchants in this city that made a lot of money making little idols that they would sell to people to go worship. 
The problem is, this love message started encountering people with so much, so much movement that now these merchants were starting to lose their jobs. They couldn't sell as many idols. They, they were like, what's going on? This city is becoming Christian. This, this message is taking over everything. And so the merchants start a riot. The craftsmen were not able to sell their small idols of goddess Diana. If you want to know a backstory to Ephesians, you can read Acts 18, 19, and 20 and see what's happening. So as you read those, many people were coming to know Christ. In fact, one day, a lot of people brought these idols and their books and all their magic stuff and burned them. Hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of idols and stuff and burned them. And there's riots that are happening. We get to verse 20 of Acts 19, and the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So can you see what's happening This city is turning from pagan to Christian. And Paul is part of discipling people in a movement of people encountering a love message of Christ. When they encounter him, they say, forget Diana, forget this. And they start worshiping. And it says that the increase of the word continued to prevail mightily. Paul, as he came into the city, he raised up elders and house churches to lead the church. You know, that's why we even model this. We come together on Sunday morning as a church and we gather in the temple courts like Paul did and then he had to move over to the lecture hall because there were so many people. But in true leadership form, what does he do? He begins to make disciples and he makes house churches all over the city and he's raising people and teaching people about Jesus and who he is. And church, we gather on Sunday. And we have house churches. They're, they're significant. I hope you're part of a house church and you're in relationship with people that are longing to be more in love with Jesus Christ. So as Paul has spent time building the church in Ephesus, as we see the house churches forming, as we see a movement of God happening in Ephesus, we come to Acts 20, verse 28. And I think this is significant for us. Because in Acts 20, 28, getting the backstory of why this whole letter was written, we come across these words of Scripture. And it's Paul talking to his elders. And he's saying, Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And Paul's talking to the church and to the leaders of the church. And he's saying, be careful. Because among you, there's going to be people that that rise up and twist the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Be careful. Stand strong on the word of God. And we, we see in the book of Revelations, chapter 2, verse 4, as the letters to the seven churches are coming out, we know that the church of Ephesus stood strong and stood for the things of Jesus Christ. It says this in, about Ephesus, but it also says, I know you see the wicked people and, and call men to repentance, which is a good thing, but in Revelations, what, do, what, what it's told about them? 
It says that you fell away from your first love. Oh, you may have stood for the truth and the doctrine of Jesus Christ. You may have done that, but you fell away from your first love. Ephesus is a brilliant place, a wealthy place. In fact, when guest speakers would come and and teach, the leaders of the church would go and listen, and if they said anything that went against Scripture, they would stand up and kick them out, making sure that doctrine was sound and strong. And this is what Paul is writing to, to the leaders of this church. Reminds me when Paul was talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 3. This is what Paul tells Timothy. Preach the word. He's training this young man up under him. And Paul's looking at Timothy and he's saying, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And Paul's saying, watch out. A time's coming when even amongst the church, doctrine will begin to fade. People begin to teach false things about who Jesus is and this gospel message. Church? (laughs) Church project? We long to teach solid and strong doctrine about who Jesus is, about who God is, the Messiah. That's one of the reasons we go expository. We go verse by verse because we want to know that we are saying as accurately as we can what God wants his church to know about himself. To me, that's exciting. To me, I'm excited to move forward in this. But as we move forward in our doctrine, and we're going to encounter some thick, thick stuff in Ephesians. This is not a small book. I'm scared to death of Ephesians, to be honest. I'm excited for it, but I'm scared of it. I'm excited for the house churches, for sure. There won't be a boring house church conversation through the whole book of Ephesians. There's some emotionally charged, awesome truth in Ephesians. And I'm excited to go on that. But church, the warning is for us. Don't forsake your first love. When we look at Ephesians, the first three chapters, talks about the doctrine of how we view God and how he works. That's what we're going to encounter for the first three chapters. How we view God and how God works. And then the last three chapters takes that truth about God and Jesus, and it shows us how we are to live it out in our lives. We encounter topics like children and marriages and how to interact with other people, and yes, even how to interact with the government. We encounter some incredible things in this book. I want to remind us something before we move into it. Isaiah 55.9 says this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As we begin to pursue Jesus, and we're we're jumping into an intellectually charged book, some of us, pride could enter into us, and we can begin to think, well, I know the truth of Scripture. Er, er, er. Pride puffs us up. 
We begin to fall away from our first love, full of knowledge, but we can never fully understand the ways of God. And that's where our faith intersects with what God's teaching us and what His Holy Spirit is showing us. So church, hold loosely the things that you do not understand and trust God because His ways are higher than our ways. But let's hold fast to the doctrine that He's teaching us about who He is and what He's showing us about how we are to interact with Him as His church. Pursue His ways in humility knowing that we will never fully understand the ways of God, which makes him God. We hold this and we say, God, I don't know fully, but I trust you. These lofty ideas, these big things of who you are, we carry it with humility. And I want to remind us that even Paul himself, the one who wrote this book, the one that encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and was changed forever, the one that saw Jesus, saw miracles, this guy right here says this, it's a mystery to me, the things of Christ. So, church, are you ready for this journey? Are you ready to jump into Ephesians? What do you say? Three of you are, okay. (laughs) That's the setup. That's what we're encountering right now. So I want to tackle these three verses, and we're going to go through these pretty quick. Um, But I wanted to set this up so we know what we're encountering today. So if you'll go to your scripture, let's read the first three verses, and we'll begin to unpack what I think God has for us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The first thing we encounter as we look at verse 1 is we see this word will. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And it was by the will of God that Paul was Saul. That was God's will that Paul was Saul. You know that Christian killing guy that had all this education and upbringing? That was God's will that he was Saul. But we also see that it was God's will that he was Paul. That he encountered Christ on the road and was forever changed. It was God's will for Saul and Paul. He converted to, Christian, uh, as, to a Christian at, on, uh, at 35 AD on the road to Damascus. You can read Acts chapter 9 to see what that conversion looked like. And as I think of this, church, here's my encouragement to you. God has a will and a plan for your life. Do you know that? I mean, we can look and see, yeah, Paul was used in a mighty way. But do you know that where you sit today, God has a mighty, mighty plan for your life? People could look at, at Saul killing Christians and say, how can God use that? But he did. It was according to his will. So as we sit here today, as you sit here, everything about your life is by the will of God. Where you live the time that you live, the makeup of who you are, the skills to shred the guitar. Everything about you is on purpose by God. 
He handcrafted you to be exactly the way that you are. Why? Because he loves you that much. And he's going to use you to draw other people to himself. You are desired by God. He desires you. Okay? You are decided by God. He decided you. He decided to make you exactly the way that you are. And you are designed by God. You are not an accident. You are not just existing. It is by the will of God that we all stand here today. God's plans. Here's, here's a definition for the will of God, okay? Anyone ever thought, what, is, what does it mean, the will of God? Okay, here's the definition, a working definition for the will of God. It says this, God's plans enacted for God's purposes. So he's planned it and he's enacting it in your life that his will will be lived out in your life. Some of you may have encountered Frederick Nietzsche in some of your readings, the, the great philosopher, Frederick Nietzsche. And this is what he believes. He says, God is dead. Like the, 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 there was a God at some point. He got things in motion, but then he died. That's what Nietzsche would say. Oh, but Christians... We get to celebrate because we are a child of God. He is not dead. He has us full of life today as he moves forward. He's actively involved in our life. His plan and will is enacted in your life today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're here on purpose? That everything that you're experiencing is on purpose and it's for his will. It's his purposes so he can enact in you this love message to everyone that you encounter. Do you believe that? Do you walk in that? Do you move in that? So he says, it's by the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. Saints. What do you think of that word? What do you think of the word saints? In in modern day, in some religions, in order to be a saint, this is what is required of you, okay? You need to have performed two proven miracles. Any of you accomplished that one? No one's saints, all right, whatever, okay? Um, You have to live a life, you have to have lived a life above reproach, without sin, blameless. Any of you, us, there? Jeff Davidson? Yes, he is. <laughs> one, one out of three so far, buddy. No, Ginger just shot him down. Never mind. Uh, two proven miracles, a life above reproach. Also, you need to be dead. Anyone dead? We're not going to make it. We're not going to make saint status according to this world, but we've already made saint status according to Jesus Christ. You're alive. If you've called on the name of Jesus Christ, you are a saint. The word saint in Greek is hagos, means holy one, set apart for God's purposes. As we live and we breathe, we are set apart for God's purposes. We are his saints. We move on purpose. He's designed us this way. We talk a lot here at Church Project about this word sanctification. And sanctification means this. Fancy word that means it's a process of me becoming who I already am. Do you get that? 
as saints. The sanctification is the process of us becoming who I already am. It's taking the things in me that don't look like a saint, and God is, is sanctification process is removing those parts that don't make me look like him, and he makes us to look more and more like him. It's already who we are. And I say, amen for your process of sanctification in our life. And for some of you, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 can clarify it. And this is what it says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and should and may your whole spirit and should and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I butchered that one. Look it up. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Jesus is the one that's sanctifying us. If you help, if this helps, that word sanctification, why don't you just change a little bit and say sanctification. It's the process of us looking more like Christ, me becoming who I already am in Him. I had some meetings this week that were very, Life-sucking, depressing meetings. And maybe you've had some of these meetings before as well. Maybe you've encountered people uh, like, uh, in times like this as well. But I, I met with an individual, and I know that this individual was a saint. He's called on the name of Jesus Christ. I know he's following Jesus Christ. But quite frankly, he's not living like a saint. Like he, He's doing things in his life that he knows that he shouldn't do. He knows that this thing that he's involved in is not in line with what Scripture has in his life. And he's sitting there, and it's through tears and a lot of pain. He's saying, Aaron, I just don't understand why I'm going through so much pain. And I'm like, you're a saint. That's why. God is working these things out of you, yet you hold on to this sin, and you hold on to this thing, and you think it's going to bring you life, but it's just pulling you down. Like God wants the sanctification. He wants to work things out of you. And he wants to make you more like him. It's already who we are. So when we're acting uh, against, his, uh, against the word of God, what are we doing? We're acting against what we already are. And of course there's no life in that. Of course you're depressed. Of course life is just heavy. Because we're fighting now this identity. God says, I've set you apart. It's already who you are but yet we hold on to the flesh so much. When we sin, we step outside of his purposes. His Holy Spirit is there to convict us, to move us past that, to let us find our identity in who he is. I look back in my life, and I don't know the times that I wasn't acting According to the will of God and the word of God, I know it. Like I could tell you some of the things that I was doing and I just knew it. I had a check in me because I'm a saint and the Holy Spirit was convicting me. But I stood up and said, I want to do this no matter what. Those are the times in my life that I was the most depressed. Because I was acting completely different than who I already am. And those were dark times in my life. How about you and your life? Let's move on. So to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, man, I wanted to land on a couple more words, but if we do that, we're going to be in, in this book, Ephesians, for 16 years. So I'm going to, let's, let's, let's kind of speed her up a little bit. Come on. Come on. Let's get to verse 2. 
says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that verse. Can you just kind of look at that verse, maybe close your eyes and think about this verse? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to look at the previous book in Galatians, um, the writer is saying, who has bewitched you, Galatians? Who has tricked you? Who has deceived you? And, and he's writing to Galatians and saying, how have you been tricked? Like you know that coming to Christ was by grace, but now someone's tricked you because you think it's about paying these penances or working or earning, and it's not about anything like that. It's about grace. So if any of you are holding on to just, I'm good enough in Christ and I'm going to work my way to salvation, good luck with that. Who has bewitched you? It's not about that. As we look at verse 2, it says, grace and peace be to you. Wow. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are you living with peace in your life? Are you living with grace in your life? Grace expresses God's steadfast love towards man. That's what grace does. Peace shows the relational state as a result of that grace. Okay, let me, let me say this one again, okay? You ready? Grace expresses God's steadfast love towards man, towards us. That's what grace is. Peace shows the relational state as a result of that grace. When you walk in grace, your life is full of peace. When you walk and you think that you can earn it, you're going to have conflict in your life. I thank God for his grace in my life every single day. As you sit here today, do you have peace now? Can you say I'm an individual of peace? I know when I don't have peace, it's because I'm not resting in God. I'm not abiding in God. Just not sitting with God. That's when worry and when I get afraid and I get scattered and rushed. In the middle of all that, God is saying he's offering his peace. Will I walk in the grace that he's already given me? All right, how many of you are awake? We got some, we got some people going down. All right, it's going to be a hard one, I told you. Carter's pumping it in the back. All right, I think he's playing Pac-Man on the computer though. All right, hey, it's thick stuff. This is, this is hard stuff. I want to I wanna get on here. Let's go to verse 3. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you look at blessed be at the beginning of verse 3, it implies that, that blessing or praise is due God by man. Because God is God, it, it, this implies that Blessing is required for us to give towards God. And he says, blesses, blessed us. Blessed us with what? I'm so blessed. How many of you said this? I'm so blessed. I got a new car. I got a, I got a new house. Or I got fancy new shoes. How many of you would say this in your life? Like, I'm so blessed. The problem with that definition of blessed means this, okay? The problem is I can't take this definition that I'm blessed because I got a new car and all that. You can't take that definition to Haiti. Like that definition just does not travel well. In America, 
We often say we're blessed. Why? Because we're wealthy and healthy. The problem is our definition of blessed is wrong and it's skewed. It does not travel to parts of the country where I have not seen wealth or health. But yet I've encountered some of the most joy and love for Jesus Christ in those dark, dark places. So if our definition of blessed is our tangible things, and we say that in America, we've got a messed up, skewed definition of what it means to be blessed. So we're not talking about that. We have been blessed. Did you notice that? It's a past tense. It's already done. It's already been bestowed on us. It's the favor of God on our life. How does this play out in our life? It plays out by the fruits of the Spirit that comes into our life. And here's a story that we're going to wrap things up with. This came from Grandpa. I like it. Hetty Green, Hetty Green, died in 1916, leaving an estate valued at over $100 million. That's kind of nice, huh? Yet ate her, ate her oatmeal cold because it cost too much to heat it. You get that? $100 million. Dies, that's the estate, but ate her oatmeal cold while she was alive because it cost too much to heat it. Christians, we have unlimited wealth, and I'm not talking physical. Some of us, yes, and you can give it to Jeremy or someone else, or Haiti, send it to Haiti. We have unlimited wealth, but it's the physical. We have unlimited wealth, but we live like paupers. God has given us his favor, his grace. We are saints. We are full of his love, and yet we walk around living like paupers. And what is this that we are blessed with? We're blessed with all these fruits of the spirits of Galatians 5, and 23. True blessings come while we're living in the temporal and focusing on him in the eternal. When we abide and move in him, he brings us alive. I want to end with this verse. Paul says this. Philippians 3.8, indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Our blessing is that we have gained Christ. We already have his favor. When you call on the name of the Lord, you are a saint and you move forward as he sanctifies us, making us become who we already are, more like him. As Paul's writing this church, he starts out this tremendous message with such heavy doctrine about who Jesus is and who we are in him, who God is and who we are in him. As saints, we need to be living out who we already are walking in his favor and blessing as we point the world to him. What did you think of the first three verses of Ephesians? All we could do is fly by him. Church, I say, grab your Bible. Grab it. Go start reading it. Go start studying it. You'll come in here. This thing is going to jump alive in you, but this is a message of hope, and this is a message of love. So today, I want to invite us all to just worship God because of what he shows us. Jeremy, if you guys want to come on up here, if everyone will close your Bibles and begin to reflect on this. What does this message mean to you as you sit here today?
What jumped out at you as you were sitting here today? Some of us, we came in here and this is a new message for us. Because quite honestly, you don't hear this message very often. That as followers of a, of a king, you're already a saint. No, in fact, in, especially in American culture, we hear the opposite. We hear, you better just work harder. You better just cut that out. You better just stop doing that. You better just start earning your way to heaven to be a better person. And Jesus is sitting here and whispering into you and blowing into you with his spirit saying this. If you've called on my name, you are a saint. I love you. Let's just start there. I love you. I'm proud of you. I've desired you. I've designed you. I decided you. You're not on accident. It is on purpose. I made you so you would experience my love. You could show that love to the world at large. As I make you more like me. Maybe you can just sit here quietly and close your eyes and hold out your hands and say, God, please show me. Like, I hear these words, but can you show me that you mean this about me? Some of us, our spirits leaping in here. Just hearing that we're already alive, that God's already doing incredible things and it's eternal things. It's not temporal things. It's not just stuff that's going to fade away, but it's eternal things. Things that will last. But when you hear that, are you walking in that? Or are you walking defeated? God, in this place, I pray that you would move your spirit in us. That we'd be lost in our identity and who you are and what you've done. That we know that our lives are on will, on pur- your will, on purpose for us. That we would come alive in the places and spaces that you take us this week. That we would celebrate being a new creation in you. That we would inject hope where there's despair. And that we would love continually. As you move through us, God. Church, I'm going to invite us to stand. And if you have a child in Project Kids, if you would quickly and quietly go retrieve them and come back and worship together as his church, as his body. When we hear how much God loves us, we move in accordance with him and we worship him in this place. Some of us, we can worship by our tithes and offerings on the either side of the table. Some of us, we have communion over here where we can take a piece of bread and dip it in the grape juice and represents Jesus and what he's done on the cross for us as he's purchased our sins. We celebrate that in remembrance of him. And some of us, we can write prayer requests down and put those cards in the, in the offering as well. But this is the time to worship God in this place. So it's between you and God that we stand and say, God, thank you for purposing me, for being who you are.